Die Bibel. Ein Buch voller Briefe. Ich liebe Briefe. Ich liebe es, wenn man sich Zeit nimmt, sich hinsetzt und einfach drauf losschreibt, was auf dem Herzen ist. Ich liebe es, wenn es lange Texte sind und, und ich mich einfach darin äh, verlieren kann. Das ganze neumodische Zeugs mit SMS und WhatsApp, Sprachnachrichten, das liegt mir nicht so. Ich liebe wirklich Briefe. Ich frage mich, hätte Paulus SMS geschrieben? So, das SMS an die Gemeinde in Korinth. Yeah. Wow, I want to talk about the, the letters of the Bible. And before going to the Bible text, we want to start with an interview. There's an organization called like Gideons. They delivered the Bibles all over the world. At the moment, they delivered more than 2 billion Bibles all over the world. And that's an amazing. Let's give a big hand to, Ro uh, to Rolf Lager on the stage. Big hand, Rolf Lager on the stage. He works for the organizations of Gideon. Wow. I like Rolf. He looks like Thank a you. typical Swiss guy. Nice ten. 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 Thank you very much. Yeah. Rolf, um, you're working for the Gideons. You, you delivered over two billions of Bibles all over the world. That's an amazing fact. My question is to you, uh, when, when I, I travel a lot and in almost all over the hotels, there are Gideon's Bibles there. Even uh, I, I was in the Swiss army, even in the Swiss army, we got Gideon Bibles. Why you deliver the Bible all over the places? Well, everything uh, started with vision. 1899 in the United States, when uh, two business travelers met each other and they came uh, to the idea to build up an uh, organization, an association for a um, uh, Christian businessman, able to be, uh, um, to, to uh, deliver Bibles to places where maybe loneliness might be, like in hotels or pain in, in, in uh, jails and so on. And, we fulfill the same vision as they had 100 years ago. Today we are about 300,000 men and women around the globe supplying the world of, uh, the word of God to different places and different groups of interest, and that's what we do. And we have only one reason why we do it, because we want that people find Jesus Christ as their Savior. Wow. Wow. My question is, you also delivering like the hotel at the Bibles to the hotels. Can you say it uh, has changed something in the atmosphere in a hotel or in the hospital or in the army? It, is it more difficult to, to deliver the Bible there like 15 years ago? Well, you know, 15 years ago, I was almost not born yet, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but sorry. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, but there, no, of course, we see a tendency, and I think, and I believe, and uh, that's something which is very obvious. We have one problem in Switzerland. We do not need God. We don't need God anymore. Or even in other words, we do not want there is a God. Maybe that's even the better um, uh, expression. And that's what we see, of course, when it comes uh, for people making decisions. For example, if we want to uh, deliver or, or supply uh, Bibles as a gift to students, and the authorities have to be involved, of course, we will get a no. Because who wants to stand up for our Lord? Jesus Christ. Why? If you do not believe in him, I would also say no. 
But we also have uh, great things, of course, in hotels. We have an acceptance of about 70% in uh, all Swiss hotels, especially the better ones, you know, three stars, four stars, five stars, and whatever we find. We have about 70% uh, acceptance. But we also see there a tendency. We see uh, there are more and more scripture coming uh, besides the Bible. We deliver the Bible in four, langu in four languages. And now we see the Quran, we see the enlightening of Buddha, we see the uh, Mormon books of Mormons and uh, everything. And some people getting depressed about that fact. And they say, well, you know, and we were the first and blah. I look at, at it uh, in a positive way, you know. If we see something like that, I see it positive because then I, I, I'm totally convinced we have not done everything wrong the last 100 years. If somebody wants to compete now with, with us and let the Lord justify what's right. Wow, that's an amazing statement. Uh, my, my first question is, um, does it like Bibles in the jails, Bibles in the, in, the, in the hotels? Can you tell us one very exciting story that the person got saved to the Gideon Bibles? Yeah, I think every time a, a person finds the eternity in our Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's amazing. So it's hard to find out which is the most amazing story. But there is one uh, which really moves me every time uh, I hear it, when I see this man. And uh, actually, it's a story of an American called uh, Dean. His mother left the family when he was 11 years old. He got into crime. He stole weapons with 14 years old. He got uh, caught, and then he stole a, a car in his sixth grade. And he got in a lot of troubles, okay? And finally... He ended uh, up in jail because he did some violence with knives against his neighbor or whatever. And to uh, get out of jail, he, he, he joined the Marines. And in those years, uh, he was sent to Vietnam. With 21, he got back with no illusions and with very little hope back to the United States. And he joined everything uh, com uh, opposite of uh, the army. Got, of course, again in troubles. Um, got caught again and landed in jail, and he didn't have anything. And at that point, or during the days, he was uh, picking up the small uh, cigarettes, the end of the cigarettes, and he was uh, getting out the rest of the tobacco. And there was no paper, of course, and the only thing he could find for paper was a little Bible. And maybe some people have heard this story many times, because it's not the only one we heard. And, of course, it's great to a point. He smoked the Bible, okay? He started with Leviticus and, well, that wasn't that great. <laughs> but finally, somehow he was start reading in, in, uh, in the book of John and he was starting to compare the face of God, the character of God, the face of God against the face of his father, against the behavior of his father. And he, he was wondering, if, is there any father out there who loves him? He, he, he soon, he, he, in very short time, of course, he, he figured out he's a sinner, but he, never, he couldn't figure out, is there any love? And he cried to God and said, Lord, please help me, save me if you're out there. And simply with reading the word of God, he, he found God and he got saved. This is amazing. But even the more amazing thing for me is every time I see him, 40 years after this event, you know, tears running down his eyes when he says, okay, it's so hard for me to tell you as Christians, it took 21 years until I got first contact with the Bible. It was in the United States. It's not different here in Switzerland. How do we 
make sure that people are getting in contact with the, God of, with the Word of God. This is our only vision. This is our only job. And we thank you for your prayers. We thank you for your assistance. It started 50 years ago in Switzerland, 54 years ago here in Zurich. And we still are here, and we hope we survive for another 100 years. Thank you very much. Let's give Rolf and the Gideons a big and amazing applause. Thank you so much for delivering the Bible. Thank you so much. Woo. This is a very encouraging story because there's a lot of people, they're delivering the Bibles to the hospital, the jails. They invested some money. And just seeing that people, when they're reading the Bible, they got saved. And the Bible is a source of God. I want to talk about the letters of the Bible. Thank you so much. This is a very nice guy. Thank you so much. He's single. His number is 0793. No. There are different, uh, in the Bible, there are different texts. And we have stories, like two-thirds of the Bibles are written in stories. And the poetry uh, style is more like a flower language. And there's also some prophetic uh, uh, letters in the Bible and also letters. And I want to talk about the letters in the Bible. There are 21 letters in the Bible. 13 letters are written by Paul, two-thirds. Like three letters from John, two from Peter, one from James, one from Judas, and one, it's from unknown. Like 21 letters in the Bible. The question is, how should we read the letters in the Bible? Because every book we should read a little bit differently. I want to start with an example. Have you ever been in a, in a train or, or in a bus and all of a sudden your neighbor, the phone is ringing? And he picks up the phone and you're sitting next to them, and, but you don't want to listen because it's something pride. But it's so loud, right? And all of a sudden, hey, John, how do you do? Oh, you're not good, doing good. Oh, um, you have some issues. But I told you immediately, she is so really, she is so difficult. At that moment, you know, this person has a problem in, in the relationship. But you don't want to listen anymore because something private. And he said, but have you tried anything? Okay, you have tried anything. If nothing works, just kick her once in the butt. Yes, I done the same thing. Now she runs smoothly again. <laughs> you think, what? The guy kicked the girlfriend in the butt? But you don't want to listen because something personal. Ah, you kicked her already. It's not working. Oh, it's nothing working. Fill her up. What? Fill her up? This guy is crazy. Kill her. Put in a bat. Fill her up. Oh, you filled her up already. It didn't work. Oh, and I have no clue what you can do as next. I have one idea. Drive to Germany, to a forest. And draw her just on the ground and run away. You sitting next, you're thinking, I should phone the police. That's a person goes to Germany and kicks her out in the forest and runs away. You know the thing is this: if somebody phones on the, in the train station or in a train or in a bus, you only hearing one story, right? But the reply of the other person, you have no clue what the other person is saying. When you hear a story like that, you think, ah, there's some relationship issues, something's not going well. But the fact was, until the guy said, I told you. 
if you're buying a really, real old motorbike. When it runs smoothly, it's a joyful thing, but if not, it's a pain in the neck. You know what I mean? But this last sentence is so important because you have no clue what's going on. The same thing is when you're reading a text from Paul about the church to Corinth. You hear something, you think about it, but the response, you will never read it in the Bible. I want to show you a very simple explanation. Look at this beautiful blue lagoon, nice tan, it's quiet. It's in the boat, everything. If you see this, I don't know what you think about it. You think, oh, I should go to a vacation. Oh, I'm working too hard. Or, oh, I grew up in an island. What am I doing here in Switzerland? That's a good question. But this is only one thing. But the truth of this picture was this. This is a shark behind it. And so many times you're just seeing one part... The ship, the lagoon, nice, tan, chilly, cozy. But if you see the shark, all of a sudden, the picture is a total different picture. This is exactly when you're reading the Bible. Sometimes you're hearing one story, but you never know what is the reply of the person. I want to speak about two points. First of all, the biblical letters are a part of a conversation. We have asked the question, to whom is this person writing? What was the situation? What was the circumstances? What was the setting that the person writes a letter to a certain church? What is the setting? I want to read right now two Bible verses. The first is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 18. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And another Bible verse in the book of Philippians is in Chapter 3, verse 1, so now, my Christians, brothers, be happy because you belong to Christ. If you read this kind of Bible text, you never think, what was the setting? You think, ah, oh, when Paul was saying to you, me, be happy, be joyful, be glad. He wrote the letter in these settings by a mahogany table. A comfortable seat, a nice pen. There were two slaves putting some wafeling, some fresh air, bringing uh, orange juice with, with some ice. He says on a magoni table, be happy, be, be joyful. Let's celebrate because Jesus Christ is the happy, happy, peasy maker. But you know what was the setting? When Paul wrote this letter, this was his setting. He was in a prison. And 14 times in the book of Philippians, Paul is saying, whatever your circumstances are, whatever, whatever situation you're right now in, it doesn't matter. Be happy. The fact is that Jesus Christ is your foundation. And he says... If you're depending your happiness in terms of a marriage or you have children, in the beginning you have children, but then you have the children. Or you say, my happiness depends about my job, but the currency of euro goes down and up, or dollars up and down like a roller coaster. If you're depending your joy factor about your health, your finances, your relationship, your circumstances. There are sometimes not so many times that you can be really happy. 
and you just figure out what it was the setting when Paul is cheering you, me, and up. Be happy, be joyful, because the strength of the Lord is my future. And my question is to you, what is your setting you're living right now? You're depending your joy about your success story, or is really Jesus Christ your source? If I'm telling you right now, be happy, you say, oh, that's a no-brainer, Leo. You're looking good. Your muscles are so tight at the moment. My tan, I don't want to show you my six-pack, just a little bit like, oh, I don't go further. You say, you can talk easy. But if a person talks out of a jail, or let's take another person, Johnny Erickson. She jumped into the water when she was 17 years old. She broke her, her back, and she was in a re- uh, wheelchair the rest of his life, and she is saying, suffering leads you to a crossroad. You must decide which way to go. The path downhill leads to desperation. The path uphill leads to thankfulness. God calls us out of our comfort zone, and we should take actions, although not everything is perfect yet. This one, you can make a selfie right now. Hey, she's in a wheelchair. She said, this is a crossroad. Paul is saying in the prisons, there's a crossroad. It's our own decision. That means if you just ask the question, what was the setting when Paul spoke to the Philippians? What was the situation? All of a sudden, the Bible text becomes a broader and deeper meaning because he was in an amazing circumstances. The point number two is the biblical letters testifying the life of the local church. I love the look of the pouring love city. You don't have to understand that Paul one day got saved. And he had such a passion for Jesus Christ. And he went to villages, to cities, and just he brought the message to the people. And all of a sudden people received Christ and he started to plant new churches. You can imagine, there were some villages and cities that were not... Not one single life church, no church, nothing, not a zero zip. When Paul came to Corinth, in this flipping wild city, this was about 700,000 people lived in that city. There was entertainment in a high level. There were like drinking, sex all over sex. There were no morale. You can do whatever you want to do as long as it's good for you. Paul comes in this flipping crazy city. There's not one Christian at the moment. He preaches the word of God and people receiving Jesus Christ. Signs and miracles took place in an amazing way. Paul starts to speak and teach the Christians about Jesus Christ. And now let's make a pause. All the new believers haven't signed in the blue cross. All the new believers, they have not signed in The true love waits. All the Christians, they got saved. They never were in a Bible school where they sing, This little light of mine. Or, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya, Kumbaya, my Lord, Kumbaya. 
Nothing like this, no blue cross, no true love waits, no singing, nothing, not a sip zero. They came from a background, you can drink as much as you want, you can have sex as much as you want, with whom and when and where and why, it doesn't matter as long as it's good for you. Now they're getting saved. And Paul started to teach them the basics of Christianity, the, like the ABC of Christianity. Some months later, Paul said, hey, there's, there are a lot of cities in this town, in our nation. I want to go to the next city. I want to plant a new church. And said, okay, I take your charge. You'll be the pastor. Lead and guide these people. And I go into the next city. I want to plant churches. Paul gave the church to another leaders. But everybody were wrong Christians, not really solid. Some months later, he hears really bad rumors. Paul hears that in the church of Corinth, they have fight in the church. Can you imagine? They're coming to the church celebration and they kick each other. There were some women that took the hair, pulled the hair out of the other cow as a woman. Said, you are such a cow. No, I'm not a cow. I'm a Christian. No, you are a cow. And Paul is saying, they are fighting going on in the church celebration. That means an unbeliever walks into the church and he's dead in the church. That's not a good reputation for the church. We should be a church where people are on fire, get healed and blessed, but you kill each other in the church. And Paul is saying, oh, that's not smart. That's not a good reputation. Church of Corinth, could it be that you forgive each other? It's just, could you forgive? No kicking, no yelling, nothing. Just let people be alive. Paul hears a young guy got saved. He was so free. He got saved from everything. He was so free. The grace of God made him free. He was so free that in the church, he had sex with, a, with a, the mother-in-law. But the sex with the mother-in-law in Corinth, not a big deal. Here it's normal. In the church, it's not good. Paul is saying, you know, you know, I know you love to fight. You love to have sex. Here makes sense. But in the church, it's not a good reputation because every mother-in-law is afraid to go to the church. Otherwise, like, she's pregnant again. They had the Lord's Supper. When they came together for the Lord's Supper, they drank so much. They fell under the chair and said, I have a hangover. Oh, I hang over in the church. I hang over in the Lord's Supper. And Paul is saying, hey, this is flipping crazy. Do you think when Jesus hung on the cross, he had a hangover? If you're coming together, you cannot drink as much as you want. It's not about drinking. It's always about remembering what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then Paul is saying, before you go into the Lord's Supper, just eat and drink at home that your belly is so full that you don't drink anything at the Lord's Supper. You know that the, 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 the problem in Corinth was just from life out of a life. And this was the problems what, what, what Paul faced. I want to ask you a question. When you're building up your church, you sacrifice your life, your time, your money, everything. And you hear rumors like that. And Paul knew if I'm not doing anything, 
The church in Corinth, it's game over and there's no light anymore in Corinth. For him, I was the question, how can I save the local church in Corinth? He wrote the first letter of Corinth because he had no Facebook, no Twitter, no computer. He wrote the letters about forgive each other. If you have sex, then you know where you have to say sex and about the Lord's Supper. He wrote down everything and he found the guy's name is Timotheus. He said, Timotheus, please save my church. Bring the letters to the Corinth and tell them my feedback about all the rumors. And Timotheus run to the church of Corinth as fast as he can. And then he came to Paul again. And Paul is asking the question, hey, Timotheus, how was it? How was the response of my flipping awesome letter? Well, they said that you are pretty much the worst preacher in the world. They also said, you suck, hashtag. And then they said, you're not even one of those 12 apostles. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. The money? Oh, you stole money. Of course. You stole money out of the bucket. Hey, Timotheus came back after the first letter of Corinth. It got even worse. I mean, this was like peanuts, sex with the... But he said to him, you stole money in the church? They said, you're such a bad preacher. Can you imagine? Paul was the guy who built up the church. He was an apostle. And all of a sudden, the same people say, you're not my teacher. You're not my apostle. You're so bad. And Timotheus left, said, thank you so much for the bad report. <laughs> when he heard the rumor that he has stolen money in the church of Corinth, he wrote the second letter of Corinth. In the second letter, he says, he's so sorry. I'm the one. Yeah, I've done more than all you guys in the church. I have sacrificed. In the second book of Corinthians, it's just like an explanation that he's really true apostle. And now let's think for a moment. When he gave the first letter to, to Timotheus, he came back with a bad reputation. He thought, maybe Timotheus was not the best guy to bring the letter. I don't know what he's really done there. He said, let's find another one. He found Titus. He said, Titus. I sent uh, Timotheus, but this is the second letter. Please bring me a good report. Bring the letters and tell them I'm really the apostle. I'm the father of this church. I'm anointed and gifted. Please come back with a good report. And then he ran as fast as he could. And when he came back, he said, wow. How was it? Dude, I'm not even lying. Dude, you got, I got to tell you, man. They were so excited about you. They told me you are the best leader and they want to follow Christ again. That's what they sent me. Wow, this is, that's a good report, right? Yeah, I love it. I call it praise report. Hallelujah. Wow. Thank you so much. Well done, You've man. done an amazing job. Thanks, man. Yes, and Paul said, yes, I saved the church in Corinth. <laughs> Do you understand the first letter of Corinth and the second one? It's like saving the church from the background of Corinth. And now my question is, I want to end with some questions. If Paul will come to ICF Zurich, what will Paul write about it? What will be the letter to the church of ICF Zurich or to, in general, the, the letter to the, all the churches in Switzerland or Europe? I think he will write about four points. There are four words, our society, we don't talk about that anymore. The first thing, we don't talk. People don't like to talk about suffering. 
A lot of people say, if you believe in God, there is no suffering. No such thing as suffering. If you as a Christian suffer, that means God is really bad. In the, before the year 1700s, for the Christians to believe and suffer, suffer was no contradiction. was not a big deal. was not a big problem. But today in our society, we're going from glory to glory, from anointing to anointing, suffering. There's no such word as suffering. But even if you preached about Jesus in certain places, not everybody is cheering you up. Some people are saying to you, be quiet. A second thing, what people don't like, suffering. She writes so beautiful. Mm, suffering. The third, the second thing what people will, will want to talk about is death. Death. I am flying a lot and I've never read in a, in a magazine in the airplane, how can you die smart? How can you be happy and sick and die? Have you ever read that in a plane? No. It's always positive. Nobody wants to be old anymore, right? If you look like 80, you're doing a facelifting, you look like 19. Sometimes people that are 90, they look like 85. We don't like to die anymore, right? In our society, we are like a YOLO generation. You only live once. When I got saved about 20 years ago, people spoke about heaven. What is the price to be in heaven? If you donate money, if you work hard in the church, you can have better seats in heaven. But today, if you say to the young people, there's a benefit in heaven, they say, I don't care about heaven. Heaven is not a reason why I do more for Christ. This vision, if you die, you come to heaven. It's not a vision anymore. Even in the churches, we don't speak about heaven anymore. If I speak about heaven, it's such a boring topic. We don't like to speak about heaven anymore because it's boring. The second one is we don't like to speak about judgment. Judgment. There's one God, there's one way. They say, no, 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 there are different gods. Buddha, Mohammed, Jesus, it's different names, but in the end, every way leads to the same God. If you say today there's only one way, people say, what's up with you? You smoke too much? We don't like to speak about hell anymore because everybody is saved in it because God is love and love cannot separate people from the kingdom of God. You know who is in heaven? Those people that say to God, thy will shall be done. You know who is in, in hell? When God is saying to you, your will shall be done. The fourth thing we don't like to talk about anymore is moral. Moral. Morality. We don't like to follow God anymore. Who says about sexuality? We don't like to. If when I when I when I when I married 19 years ago or now more than 20 years ago, sorry about. We said I wait with sex until we married. It was in the church a clear statement. Oh, we wait. We going to the honeymoon and then we rock the honeymoon. <laughs> we went horny to the honeymoon. <laughs> but today, honeymoon is. If I speak about it in the church, wait with sex until you're married. In the church, people say to me, 
What's the matter, Pastor Liu? It sucks. Because love is not wrong. If you feel it, do it. And love cannot hurt anybody and anyone. We don't like to talk to, about these topics anymore in the church. We start to think like society thinks. The Bible says, now listen to me. God created man and woman, punkt. Punkt. If I say that in this, on the stage, please say, you cannot say this anymore. What about all those people, they're gay? I don't care about your meaning. I don't care about your feeling. I care about the Bible. I care about the one who defines the point. When God says, God created man and woman, punkt. It's the point, it's the point. We don't like to talk about this anymore in the church because the society, the church of Corinth and even Zurich and our society, we start to believing what people saying they're not Christians yet. And the church is full of people say, we believe in God, but we tell how God should be. The problem is that this, in our society, I am in the middle. Can you write it down? We sing, we are social media, means me. I'm in the middle. Automobile means I can drive the car. I am in the middle. I say, I am the most important thing because I can judge about that suffering, moral, and judgment. This is the way we think today. But this is total wrong. It's not about you. You're not the center. You're not the beginning. You're not the end. You're not, you're not the one who can say what's right or wrong. You're not the center. Yeah, you can. The center is God Almighty. I want to close with two points. When I planted the ice of Zurich with some people, I said two things I will never change. I will never change God. It's only one to heaven, it's God. And as long as I preach and teach, I will never change the Bible. I will never say to God about sexuality, oh God, you are so wrong. You have no clue about love. Oh, sorry, you created me, but you are such a bad creator. I'm writing my own Bible. I will never change the Bible. And I always will preach the Bible, even if I'm the only one who says God created man and woman, point. Because that's the Bible. If you say anything else, you are God. You're defining what's right or wrong. And I tell you something straight from my heart. I don't care what you think. You're not as important as you think. You're not the creator. You're not the beginning, you're not the end. You live in maybe 60, 80 years, you are dead. Another generation comes and God stands there for eternity. I want to close with a, one last Bible verse. And I love this Bible verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, 
but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Has Jesus Christ took hold on you in every area? Because God is the center of the universe. He's the center of my life in suffering, morals, judgment, that He is the source of my life. When I read the Bible, when I speak about reading the Bible, that means this is the standard who tells me how to live. But the standard of the world has nothing to do with the Bible. And we have to choose. Follow God means follow this book or you follow yourself. And that's never a good smart thing. I want to pray in the end that we get a new respect about the Word of God. A longing that God takes hold on me. Let's pray together. And Father God, I just want to thank you so much for your word. I'm living in a world where the meaning and the mindset it's the opposite of your word. Of course, I will not judge people. They think differently. But only because people live that out, I don't want to say that's right. God, take hold on me again. I want to make you to the center of my life. It's not about me. It's about you. Is there something in your life where you lost God? Is there a certain area in your life where God is not in the center anymore? Where God has not hold anymore in your life? I want to give you the opportunity as a pastor just to pour out your heart for a moment. Maybe in terms of sexuality, finances. Maybe you need a switch. Make God and Jesus to the center of your life. You can believe in God, you can pray to God, but still you are in, in the center. Make God your Lord and Savior in your center.